Grace and peace are yours from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. With our text for today, I also want to share with you the heading of this psalm that comes just before the first verse. It's not printed in the bulletin, but it's, it gives us a little bit of important context. And these headings that were written and included with, with the psalms were part of the original writing of the psalm. So we consider them also to be part of God's word. So from Psalm 51, the heading, and then verses 1 and 2. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. You remember King David's sin? He royally messed up. He went from being a, a peeping Tom on his rooftop to ending up committing adultery, sleeping with another man's wife, getting her pregnant. Then he tries to cover up the whole scandal. He's lying to everyone the whole time. He eventually has her husband killed. He's guilty of murder. And he had seemingly gotten away with all of it. In fact, perhaps his approval ratings were even going up. Because here he took the, the wife and, and uh, child, unborn child of that poor fallen soldier of Israel into his own palace to care for her and provide for her. But then God's prophet Nathan shows up. And he tells David that parable about the rich man and the neighbor man who was very poor. That neighbor, he only had one little lamb. And we're told that he loved that lamb like a daughter. And yet that rich man stole that little lamb and ate it for dinner with guests. This infuriated King David. And he blurts out, that man deserves to die. What comes next? is, in my opinion, one of the most intense scenes that we see portrayed in all of the scriptures. Imagine being a fly on the wall in that moment in King David's throne room. King David burning with anger against this injustice. He then hears God's prophet and messenger turn and say, you are that man. You are the man that deserves to die. And then for the next five verses, Nathan goes off listing how God knows every single sin that David had committed. That he had worked so carefully to cover up. How he had taken for granted all that God had given to him. How he had done this great evil in God's eyes. How he had despised God's word. It's one of the harshest heaviest, most crushing pronouncements of God's law that we find in the Bible. And King David needed to hear it so that he might realize his terrible sins and repent of them. And there is nothing that David could say in response to all of this. There were no excuses. There was no self-justification. There was no way that he could deflect these things. He was left with only one thing that he could say. I have sinned against the Lord. King David was saying, I, I stand before God naked, ashamed, with no excuse. I have nothing that I can offer to him. I have sinned and gone astray. 
like the hymn we just sang. Lord, to thee I make confession. I have sinned and gone astray. I have multiplied transgression, chosen for myself my way. Led by thee to see my errors, Lord, I tremble at thy terrors. The specific sins of King David, they might not be sins that you are guilty of, being a peeping Tom, then an adulterer, then a murderer, lying about it the whole time. Or maybe they are. Maybe you are guilty of those sins. Regardless, you have your own terrible sins that you have committed. And you know them. They might have started off seemingly innocent enough. No big deal. Something small. Maybe a few clicks of your mouse, a few swipes on your phone. Maybe you felt pressured to do something that that you weren't comfortable with. Something you shouldn't have done. Maybe you then try to justify yourself, saying, oh, well, it's not hurting anybody. But then, like a little cut that goes untreated can turn into a festering, stinking wound and could eventually even kill the whole body, that little sin can grow, and it can infect more and more of your soul. It's so easy to let transgressions be multiplied. That little sin in your life, it can lead to other sins. King David can tell you all about how that works. Meanwhile, as that sin that you are guilty of sits inside of you, it begins to rot away, and with it, your conscience. It literally rewires your brain so that the evil that you are doing that is incredibly displeasing in God's sight that is despising his word, it becomes something that, that you can become so callous to that you don't even think twice about it. This is a diabolical trap that Satan lays for us. You can keep telling yourself in complete denial, everything, everything is fine, but when that sin is still there, present, living in you, you are, spiritually speaking, spinning out of control. And the longer you go, the more damage you do. It pushes God farther and farther away until there might not even be a glowing ember of faith left in one's heart. When sin is allowed to go unchecked, living in a person's heart, it will ultimately destroy one's faith in God so that you become separated from him, that you might be lost. And then when, he, when temporal death comes calling upon such a person, that person will be eternally lost. That is terrifying. God does not want you to let sin, God does not want sin to be ruling in your heart. We do not want sin to sit and fester and then to bring this pain and and suffering into our lives. We don't want sin that could ever possibly take us away from God. And so glory be to God, his law intervenes just as it did for King David. It speaks harsh truth to you and me. It proclaims, you are that man that has sinned. You are that one that deserves to die. God is the one who works this realization in us, and he does this so that that sin might then be expelled, purged. Or as our text, this prayer of David, turns to God and asks of him, to let my sins be blotted out, washed away, cleansed from us. Let me ask you, do you think it would have been awkward and hard for King David to write this psalm 
and then to put it forward for the public worship of God's people. It is a heartfelt, it's a personal psalm. It probably wasn't hard to write, but then to share it with everyone. Psalm 51, it was written, it was intended to be a hymn, a song of penitence to be sung by the entire nation of Israel, by God's church. In our heading, it said, to the chief musician, David intended for this to go out. And then he attaches his heinous sin right to the top of it so that everyone would know. You'd think that that would have been painful and embarrassing for King David. I don't think any of us would want our worst sins to be brought up, to be put on display, to be sung about regularly in church. But King David, being moved by the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. He did put them on display. He laid his sins all out for for us to see. And we are blessed because of it. Glory be to God for for moving him to write these words. He was proclaiming and teaching us what we are to do with the sins that we are guilty of, that we commit. When God's law, when the preaching of God's law points that terrifying, accusatory finger at you, and it says, you are that man that is guilty, that deserves to die, what should you do? Where should you turn? We pray this prayer of King David. Have mercy on me, O God. This is the prayer of King David. It's the prayer of the tax collector in the temple. It's the prayer of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. It's the prayer of St. Paul who proclaimed himself to be chief of sinners. We turn to God knowing from his word and seeing from these examples of notorious sinful people who were forgiven that God's grace is bigger than our worst sins. And that he has a heart that is willing to forgive even the most awful, wretched sinners. And this this is something that we should take great comfort in, that we should be encouraged by. This should give us confidence that we can turn to this merciful God, full of tender mercies, loving kindness, and we can go to him and we can freely admit all of the sins that we are guilty of, that we've done wrong. We can take our guilt and our sins to him, proclaiming, according to your loving kindness, according to your steadfast love, according to the the multitude of your tender mercies, Lord, I'm trusting in you, I'm turning to you to blot out my transgressions, to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, to cleanse me from my sin. And this is a song, this is a prayer The psalm that we are praying to God, that God loves to answer by saying, yes, I will do these things for you. He proclaims to you in his word, you are forgiven, you are washed clean by the blood of the lamb. You are at peace with me through my son Jesus. Christ's holy life is shared with you. As I look at you, I see the righteousness, the holiness, the perfection of God now covering you who desire and ask for his mercy. It counts as your own. And as for all of your sins, God says, they have been thrown to the cross. They are finished with Jesus' death on the cross. Your guilt is paid for. By his wounds, you are healed of your deadly sin. And dear friends, you and I, we can count on this sacrifice that Jesus has made. We can count on it counting for us. 
His resurrection from the dead is God's guarantee to you that his work is complete. Your transgressions are blotted out. Your iniquity is washed away from you. Your sins are cleansed. God says, I swear it to you upon the open and empty tomb of my son. King David lived in this assurance. This psalm is proof of that. It's a psalm that he would no doubt have returned to again and again. It's one that we return to again and again. This prayer, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me again and again. It's part of the daily life of a Christian because we mess up every day. And thankfully, he restores us every day. The devil, he wants to come and he wants to drag all of the baggage out again and again before us. He wants to again make this giant mess in our lives. Thanks be to God, we get to return and pray this prayer again and again. When the devil drags all of our past sins out before us, when he starts whispering those doubts in our ears and trying to remind us of all these things, head back to these words of this prayer that David prays, that we make our own, and live in the comforting assurance of these words of this prayer. You and I, we now stand before a merciful God with our sins forgiven. And rejoice in hearing this. We want to hear this all the time. It's why we come to church. It's why we come to chapel. It's why we are baptized. It's why we remember our baptisms. It's why we want to regularly receive the Lord's Supper. It's why we are willing to drag our sins out into the daylight so God can see it and we can confess to him, I have done these these things wrong, O Lord. Because he pronounces to us, I forgive you. When we are crushed by hearing and knowing you are that man who has sinned, we also have the beautiful comfort of knowing that we have a God of mercy and loving kindness, and he wants to assure you and me, just as Nathan assured David, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. Martin Luther had an awesome quote about this. He said, when the devil throws your sins in your face and he declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that. I deserve death and hell, but what of it, devil? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I will be also. All glory be to him, our God of mercy and loving kindness. Amen.